this. That Christ, the fullness of God, would come to earth to be born of a small, weak race like ours. Thank you for your goodness to us. May we have ears to hear this morning. May we have eyes to see what you have for us. And may we have lives that result in your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's always a joy to be able to stand in for Pastor Mark and preach. It's especially a joy to stand in for Pastor Mark and preach a Christmas series. <laughs> to think about what it is for, for Jesus to dwell among us. I, uh, I wonder if, uh, if any of you out there um, would, would admit to your love for Christmas movies. Anybody out there? Any of you, you started in November. You started in October, right? I have, I have some crazy family members. They're in the back corner over there. And it's amazing to me. They're actually in both back corners. Uh, so I can be careful. But uh, uh, some of them, whom, whom I, I, I love dearly and would never hope to embarrass, um, had uh, taken on themselves the, the difficult task of watching as many iterations of the Christmas Carol, the, the book. It's a book first, by the way. Uh, put to screen as they could. And I, I did just a little bit of research here. There's 135 film adaptations of The Christmas Carol. Now, for those of you who don't know The Christmas Carol, it's, uh, maybe you'll recognize Ebenezer Scrooge as a name, right? And it follows his, his journey of understanding his, his errors in life, his, his Scrooge-ness, right? And uh, his redemption story of what it is to be visited by the realities of the past, the present, and the future. And I, I think about that. It's such a powerful story, and it's so powerful at Christmas, I think, because we know what it is to, from, from last Christmas to this Christmas, get maybe dragged into the bah humbugness of life, right? Don't we? Don't we know what it is to be kind of dragged into that, brought into that frustrated, miserly feeling, okay? Now, we might battle it all year. I hope you do for the sake of your family and friends and anybody that knows you. But that story is so, is so embedded in our hearts of realizing who we are and what our life is really about. And I think about uh, potentially the, uh, the effect on the world of, 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 of maybe Christians and our reputation in the world. What are we, what are we seen as? Are we seen as, as pre-redemption Scrooge or post-redemption Scrooge? 
How are we seen in the world today? What is it that, that, that would make the difference for somebody who, who encounters a, a Christian, a believer in this world today? I had the opportunity this last week to fly home to Nebraska to attend my nephew's wedding. And I love, I love uh, flying because you get to talk to all sorts of people that eventually get off the plane and go their separate ways. And so each time I was on uh, a flight or each time I was sitting in the, in the terminal, I, I tried to strike up conversations. And I hope you know why I would do that. I hope you try to do that too in your own way that fits maybe your personality. But I strike up conversations. And every single conversation that I struck up, I came to realize that the person that I chose, that I kind of saw, I chose, they already knew Jesus. And so we had an incredibly encouraging, incredibly fruitful, fun sort of conversation about those things. And that was God's intention for this particular trip. I need to fly more so that I can get into more conversations. Too bad there's not other people around other than on flights. (laughs) But my, often when I do talk to those who are unbelievers, their understanding of Christianity is very, very limited. And it's very, very skewed. And often it's very, very skewed toward pre-redemption Scrooge. As far as their understanding of what Christianity is and what Christians are. But I think the thing that might change that radically is if we understand Christmas. I think if we understand what's happening in Christmas, in God coming to dwell with us, post-redemption Scrooge is right there. Everybody wants to be around that guy, right? Everybody wants to be the guy that he calls to from the, from the, from the window. Says, here, go spend my money. <laughs> Go get this great big feast and invite everyone. I think that has much more to do with Christmas than we sometimes think it does. Because the God of the universe has come down to dwell with us. Not to be pre-redemption Scrooge, but post. Let's think about this is. If, if you could turn in your scriptures to John 1, we're going to look at John 1, 14 to 17. We're going to look a little bit more at other portions of, of the scriptures too. But turn with me to John 14. Sorry, John 1, verse 14. This isn't as easy as it looks. John 1, 14. Let's read. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. 
from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. It's amazing to think that the word of God became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God here is a reference to Jesus. It has much more packed into that reality of him being the word. But I want to focus in today. We focused last week when I was talking to the kids about God's glory coming in the person of Jesus Christ to dwell among us. Now, I'm sorry that I don't have bright lights up here or visual aids, but you can stick with me without those things, right? I hope. Like, well, no, we would actually prefer that. That'd be helpful. Well, sadly, I don't have any, so you'll have to bear with me. We talked about what it is for God's glory to dwell in and through Jesus among us. How amazing that was. How worthy of worship God was and is. Now we want to talk about what it is for grace to dwell among us. Jesus Christ comes into the world and is God's own son, the very imprint of his nature upon this world. And why I opened with the idea of post or pre-redemption Scrooge is that idea of grace is what seemed to make all of the difference for Ebenezer. As we think about our reputation in the world, I want to set before us who Jesus, God himself is, as being full of grace and dwelling among us. As we think about what it is for the word to dwell among us, jump back up to John Uh, verse 1 of John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that has been made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think about what it was for Jesus to be in God's presence before the incarnation, before we, what we celebrate in Christmas and him coming down as a baby. Think about what it was to be with your father in perfect fellowship, you and the spirit and your father in perfect fellowship. And that had gone on for eternity past. We can't get our minds quite around that. And it will go on for eternity future, but Up until that point, that perfect relationship, that perfect life-giving, life-emanating relationship that Jesus had with his Father. Think about what it is to, in at least physical terms, leave that. To walk away from that. to in some regard go without that, to become fully human. Remaining fully God, yes, but to become fully human. 
What is that to give up? The all-sufficient word becomes flesh, weak and limited. I mean, babies are cute, but they are not at all self-sufficient. Can I get an amen from any of the moms in the room? I mean, some of you, it's, it's, it's been 18 years worth of not self-sufficient. No offense, kids. Or nearly adults. <laughs> but think about that. The all-sufficient one who is God's agent of creation by which all things are upheld by the word of his power becomes a baby, weak and limited. The utter and ad- abject humility of that to become flesh and dwell among us, the likes of us, no less. Notice here in John 1, 14, right? The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. And he is full of what? He's full of grace and truth. He shows the Father's glory first, but then he's full of grace and truth. Think about the fact, those two actually, contrary to our culture's belief, those two things cannot be separated, grace and truth. For to live in such a way that we're gracious, if we deny the truth, we're not actually being gracious to people. But to live in such a way that we affirm the truth and then do not have the character of God and his graciousness backing us up, that is not helpful either. We cannot actually show grace without truth, and we're going to get into that here in just a second. But let's focus in on what grace is. What is grace? Now, there's a lot of different ways that we could define it, all right? God's riches at Christ's expense is helpful to us. But I want to put this one in front of you. Grace is the perfect and undeserved kindness and wise generosity of God toward us. Now, that's a lot. That's a mouthful. But think about this. Grace is the perfect, holy righteousness of God and undeserved, the gift graciously given, kindness, love of God, generosity of God, benevolence of God. And his wise, that being sovereign and rightly understood, rightly applied, generosity, lavish and full, all coming from God, of God, in such a way that it reveals his heart. If we think of grace as something that we are owed, it flips grace on its head. Many of you know people who don't know a lot about who God is. And when they think about God and they think about his grace and his love toward them, they think, yeah, that's how God should treat me. Can you think of people in your mind? 
And it's because they do not fully understand the bigness and greatness of who God is. And they don't fully understand who they are in light of this great God. It says here in John 1, let me get to it because it was on this, not this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There we go. Sorry. As we think about this, right? The word becomes flesh, dwells among us. We've seen his glory. John bore witness about him. He's full of grace and truth. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Think for a second about God's fullness. What does God own? Maybe it's easier to answer, what does God not own? Either way, from his fullness, we have received, been given, grace upon grace. This cascading grace comes from God's fullness, his never lackingness, his complete fullness. Think about what you do when you have lack. Most of us, the reason that we are sometimes insecure, anybody else there sometimes, right? Insecure, right? The reason we're insecure is a lot of times because we look at ourselves and we're like, I got nothing. I don't have the ability to interact in this situation, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of step back from it because I don't have the fullness that it requires to take on that situation. Some of us, that's why we, we, we would just prefer uh, staying, staying out of the family conversations around Thanksgiving or Christmas. I just, I don't have the whatever it's going to take to do the conversation that is right in front of me. God never has that problem. God is never lacking. He's never anything less than full and abounding with whatever he needs at any point. And it's amazing to think that God sent his son into this world to be exactly that for the people he was around. He knew their insecurities. He knew their lack of fullness, and that's why he sent Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. My kids memorized that the other day for JBC Kids, and I love it because it shows us who Jesus really is. He has everything, and God sends him to this world to be everything for us in his fullness. We have all received grace upon grace. Our identity, if we've trusted him, is settled because of his fullness, not ours. Some of you, if you're like me, are still trying to accomplish fullness 
so that you can be everything you need to be for this world and be secure and never feel insecure and never feel like you have any lack. And you're trying and trying and trying and realizing you do not have the resources for that. The reality is none of us do. That is why Jesus was sent. Because he has the fullness. Because he has everything that is needed for life. And it's by looking to him, being with him, living our life oriented around him, knowing him and knowing him personally that we receive that fullness so that we can live lives that reflect him. So that other people can see us, whether it be in an airport terminal or at the grocery store and say, I know that they don't have it all together, but why aren't they just falling apart? (laughs) Because they receive their fullness from Jesus Christ, who's been sent into this world to accomplish that very purpose. I want you to know that no one is ever disqualified from receiving this fullness, this grace upon grace, if they are ready to merely receive it. If you are not ready or willing to receive the grace that God gives, then you won't receive it. But if you are willing, if you are humble in that way to receive it, it'll never run out. It is always full. Think about this grace upon grace, this picture of of, of wave upon wave upon wave of grace. That it, it never stops. Maybe I've been to the beach and you just watch it, it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. If you're there for half an afternoon and you get Right, remember the sun? You guys remember the sun and the beach? It's been a while, a little bit, sure. But those waves just keep coming in and coming in and coming in. And sometimes we think, oh, well, it'll get calm. It'll stop coming in. That happens with the beach. That happens with the water. That doesn't happen with Jesus Christ. It continues to come in and in and in. Lamentations 3, 22 To 23, many of you have this memorized, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases his mercies. Come on. Never come to an end. Because they are new every morning. New every morning. New every morning. Great is his faithfulness. And when Jesus Christ comes into the world... And we have a relationship with him. That is where we see his grace and mercy new every morning. Nope, I'm still redeemed by Jesus Christ. He still died for me. No matter what the day brings today, nothing can trump that. But here in John 1, notice here. From his fullness, we've all received grace upon grace. Verse 16. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. There it is again. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. 
The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. I think it's helpful for us to think about this a little bit. There's a contrast in the type of grace that comes when Jesus comes onto the scene. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Are grace and the law opposites? I'm going to make you think just a little bit. You okay with that? Apparently not. Are you, okay, are you okay with thinking a little bit this morning? I hope you came ready to think just a little. I know you're thinking about all the things that got to get finished in the next week. I get that. Are grace and the law opposites? I mean, from a certain point of view, you could say, yeah, kind of. Grace is about not earning. Law, in a certain respect that we think about, is, is about keeping it and therefore earning right standing or right relationship with God. And we, we know from our categories, we know that's not possible. So we tend to think that law and grace are opposites. And I hope we don't start thinking also that law or, or that grace and effort are opposites because then we can start thinking that those two things The law came through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Moses was a representative of God to us and give us the law. And so is Jesus in a more perfect and complete way. Can I submit to you that both Moses and Jesus were showing us God's incredible grace? The law itself is quite gracious of God. The, the difference here, what it's saying is that the, there's the coming of Jesus brings a different and fuller grace to us. It came on top of the grace that had come through Moses. Think about this. Is it gracious of God to give us the law? And some of you may be scratching your heads and that's okay. If you're lost, pick back up. When you, when you catch something, that's okay. You may be asking the question, right? Is the law gracious? Doesn't the law condemn me and bring punishment and wrath to me? How can we say that it is gracious of God to give the law? Think about this. Without the law, what would be the case if God had not given the law? I would not know what sin was. I would not know what displeases God what God is like, what he expected, how he desired for me to have a relationship with him and companionship with me. I wouldn't know how my sins could be graciously covered. I would be accountable and condemned and not know it. Do you see how the law is actually gracious? We need to have this category because we talk to people, hopefully we talk to people all the time, all day long that if they, if they don't know Jesus, they need to understand this distinction. They need to understand from you who know your Bible, they need to understand from you, no, it is actually really gracious of God to have laws and to give us law because he reveals himself and he shows us what he expects and he shows us why we are condemned before him. 
That law is gracious, very gracious. And those of you know this in a positive manner too. When I actually follow God's good commands, (laughs) life goes well for me. And when I don't, life does not go well for me. It may go well for a while, but then the bottom falls out. Do you see this? God has been incredibly gracious to give us the law. And then he gives us Jesus Christ. The word. The perfect embodiment of what it is to keep the law completely. He gives us grace upon grace in that we see in a real human being living out life in front of us what it looks like to uphold that law perfectly. And I want you to think about this. When Jesus lives out and completely fulfills the law, are people drawn to him or cast away from him? A little bit of both, right? But think about who it is that's drawn to him and who it is that's pushed away from him. Those that actually think that they're doing pretty well at keeping the law, they're the ones that are pushed away, aren't they? And those who know definitely that they are not very good at keeping the law, they are drawn to Jesus. It's that we need to understand how law and grace come together, and that is exactly why Jesus comes onto the scene. Because Jesus is grace incarnate. A perfect fulfilling of the law incarnate. See, without the law, here's what happens. We all become very, very entitled. If we do not know that there is a law that we have broken, and the culture at large maybe doesn't know much about the law and what God has set in front of us and how we are spurning him or how we're pushing him away. If we don't understand that, it comes back to what I mentioned earlier. They look at God's love for them and care for them and acceptance of them and they think, yeah, that's exactly how God should treat me. But if they have understood that there is a law that they have broken, the very character of God put into written words that we ought not violate, and we realize we've transgressed that, we've spurned that, we've rebelled against that, we've hated God and pushed him away and didn't like his law, and then that God sends his son to die for that punishment, then all of a sudden grace takes on a whole new meaning, doesn't it? We go from entitled, yeah, God should treat me that way, to God should never have treated me that way. And how gracious is he to rescue me from that? So, don't get the wrong impression. When we talk about Jesus coming into the world to be grace dwelling among us, it doesn't doesn't mean, it doesn't make it so that the law is not important. No, Jesus doesn't make much sense unless there was law first. 
Parents, many of you know this very intimately. Unless your kids understand that there's a law and a standard, you being gracious to them makes zero sense. <laughs> they don't have anything to contrast it with. They just think, yeah, that's what mom and dad should do, right? That's where entitlement springs from, right? But if they understand that there are standards, that God has set down standards, and that he has been gracious to meet those standards and take the punishment for those standards, that's where gratefulness springs. And that's where I want to go here. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Verse 3. We read it for our scripture reading, but I want you to see. Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, I want you to see, though this is in Titus, this is a Christmas passage. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, came onto the scene, he saved us, not because of our works done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. When the goodness and loving kindness of God appeared, it appeared in a baby boy in a remote part of the world in humility so that we might be rescued. Do you see that the coming of Jesus into the world marks the grace of God appearing in a way that had never happened before. Jesus himself is the goodness and loving kindness of God in a person. Grace appeared to dwell among us. So much so that if we have trusted him. And I don't want to make that assumption that that's true of everyone in this room. You may not have trusted him. You may be here trying to figure out who Jesus is. You might be here because, because grandma asked you to come to church. And I'm glad you're here. Okay, if that's the case, thank you for coming. Thanks for loving your grandma enough to show up, right? But you may be here, you may not know him, you may not know what your grandma knows. And that's okay. But I will challenge you. Have, you. have you trusted Jesus? Do you know who he is? Do you know what he's claimed to have done? What we believe he's actually accomplished? If that's the case for you, if you've in fact trusted that, the grace upon grace that comes upon you sounds a little something like this. You are sons and daughters. 
You've been adopted. You've had righteousness given as a gift, Ephesians 1.5. It's credited to your account, Romans 3.24. Death itself has been defeated, 1 Corinthians 15. We are relieved of the impossible burden of attaining our own salvation by our works, Ephesians 2.8 and 9. Relationship and peace with God has come, Romans 5, 8 to 11. We have a Savior who can identify with our weaknesses and even our sin, though he is sinless, Hebrews 4, 15. He knows what it is to be completely human, John 1, 14. We are given every spiritual blessing in Christ, Ephesians 1, 3. We're redeemed or bought out of sin, Titus 2, 14. Our enemies defeated, 1 Corinthians 15, 27. God is eternally for you. Forgiveness is ours in Christ. He's taken away all of our guilt and shame and condemnation, all of it. He's given us an inheritance with Christ. We're given mercy. We don't get what we deserve. We're made alive in and through Christ, even though we're dead in our trespasses. The righteous requirement of the law is fulfilled. We're given the spirit guaranteeing our salvation and all of this, all of this, the list goes on and on and on. All of this is accomplished through and in Jesus Christ alone. God has been incredibly gracious to us. He has been incredibly kind to us. And all through a little boy born in a manger. Have you allowed the weight and the freedom of grace to overwhelm you and your heart? I do not want to stand up here and preach a message and have you intellectually nod your head at me. That's pointless. We can all gather around and lay out. I'll check all the boxes. Great. What I want to have happen today is that you understand that deeply intellectually. Understand it in your mind and it travels to your heart so that you can say, that is my Savior. He is the one who has rescued me from myself. Can you celebrate Jesus? Does that excite you? Does it cause you to weep and cry tears of both sorrow for your sin and joy that he would redeem you? By his grace, he's made a way through that little baby boy to not only turn away his wrath that you deserve, but to welcome you into his family with no grudges and no tension at the dinner table and all of the benefits. Does, does that excite you? Does that warm your heart? Does that cause you to see God as he really is? Because you can mentally agree with it. And, I, and, and all of us have different levels of how much emotion we're going to let leak out for other people to see. I get that. That's okay. But what I am saying is, when was the last time you let the reality of that settle upon you and change your heart 
Because earlier in the book of Titus, it says that that grace, that grace, realizing that grace is the thing that transforms our heart and makes us joyful. And being joyful in who Jesus is makes obedience simple and easy. Because we've really seen what he has done and our heart is transformed. And we find it easy to say, God, whatever you want, that's what I want. Let it settle upon you this Christmas season. You got a week, right? (laughs) You got a week. Recognize at all points this week how God has been overwhelmingly gracious to you. And I would say, start with the fact that Jesus was sent into this world and you will never run out. You will never get to the bottom of that reservoir. You'll never run out. Let's pray. God, as our hearts are brought to these realizations, as we see that grace has entered into our lives, has come as a baby, has shown us who the Father is, I pray, Father, that you would do your work in the hearts of my friends and myself. That grace, the reality of his incredible loving kindness and goodness and generosity would show our hearts what it is to be truly free and truly honest before you. That you have accomplished all of this through that little boy in a manger. God, as we worship and as we sing, as we think about what it is for God to be with us, I pray that we see that post-redemption Scrooge coming out. That people would be surprised and overwhelmed by our love and care and generosity, by our insistence upon the truth because it is good and by our willingness to enter in like our Savior to any and all messes that we might bring the hope of the gospel to them. Do that work, we ask in Jesus' name.